No credentials. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. We're revisiting an album that we've already reviewed today. This album came in originally in the 2003 list and the 2012 list at number 10. It's fallen 19 spots mm. here to the 29th position. This is the Beatles' uh, self-titled album, which is colloquially known as the White Album. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anyone call it the Beatles. No? It's easier to just say the White Album, right? Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that that was the intent. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe they wanted people to call it that, but I think it was just a self-titled album uh, with a white cover. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this. Maybe uh, discussing the origin of the name is an appropriate spot because maybe we can find some common ground there. Uh, because this is uh, somewhat hilariously a band we both really appreciate but an album that you yeah. could sort of care less about and i think is one of their best uh, uh yeah you know what and you and i usually <laughs> uh see see eye to eye um, right uh, for most of this stuff and and have different takes on it for but usually we uh we can agree on general consensus of what we think of the album this was one that i just really struggled Mm -hmm. with and and i think one of the things uh (laughs) you shared um early on in our journey you shared that there was a time in your life where you went through the beatles catalog and you listened to everything pretty much uh every album and some of them and I believe this is one of them. Some of them you came back to over the years. Like, well, that was a good album. I'm going to revisit that. Whereas I love the Beatles and have listened to a lot of music, but I never really went through and listened to albums because I didn't grow up with the albums. So this was one that I hadn't listened to. Right. I had, you know, I, I had Revolver. I had Peppers. I had uh, a couple others, I think, in my possession. Uh, but this was one that I hadn't listened to. Um, so I think that's part of it, too, that you there was some right. more familiarity for you with it. Um, and for me, and some sentimentality probably too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't, I didn't have any of that. Uh, I knew the hits. You didn't have that. There's, no, some of the other songs. And there's, to me, there's so much weird stuff on this album. Like, I, I think it's you <laughs> who has said, couldn't they have just made this one really good single album? Did you say that? Yeah, I have I have said before that this is as good as Abbey Road had they cut it down to a single album. Yeah, I, I would I agree with that. that. I think there's uh there's enough really great stuff here that they could have whittled it down to that. The the thing I was trying to do this afternoon, knowing we were getting close to this re-review, was to go through and, and figure out which songs I should cut. Now, disclaimer, I, I've purchased this one on vinyl. Um I don't have many records, right? Having just got a record player, but this was one I thought was right. uh, a good addition, and and so I play it fairly frequently. And I think even the weird okay. stuff would be hard for me to cut. I think there are a few like, um, I, Bungalow Bill doesn't do much for me. 
I could easily cut wild honey pie because it's 52 seconds of weirdness. Um, there's a few. Uh, I probably don't need the the revolution uh, speaking stuff. Uh, and, right. You know, maybe a couple of others here and there, but I think I'm still stuck with like one and a half EPs. Like I don't think I have. You know, I I'd be sad okay. to to give up some other stuff. It's not like. Um, uh, boy, we keep picking on Exile, I guess, but it's not like Exile on Main Street, where I think, like, boy, there's a clear EP worth of tracks here to cut. Um, I think it'd be a challenge for me to figure out which ones belong on that final single-disc version of the White Album. Um, maybe, maybe it'd be fun to do that sometime. Well, I could help you with that. Guys, but... <laughs> <laughs> I could do it what right now. What stands out to you? Do you yeah, we... <laughs> Side ones, I do. We need a well... Ringo Starr track. we got to get a... <laughs> Yeah, you need, you know, you need one Ringo Starr track and two Harrison tracks. And then the rest um, are, are Lennon-McCartney tracks. And, <laughs> and of course, uh, as you, you get later in their career, you get less tracks that are Lennon-McCartney together and more that are right. one or the other, right? Because a lot of the early ones were that yep. name that yep. with two names together but then as you know the relationships start to break down and i think this was the first album where they did a lot of recording separately and where john lennon was with uh, yoko ono and they didn't want anything to do with either of them uh, i believe that mm-hmm. might not have been at its pinnacle with this one i think uh i think abbey road that was the last album right that they recorded I know it wasn't their last release. Yeah, but, but this this one too, um, this one too is is definitely. I mean, just looking through the track list, you're right. Gone are the Lennon and McCartney mm-hmm. tracks. There's there are two songs that are that are listed as McCartney with Lennon, but or Lennon with McCartney. But but everything else is um, either Separate. Lennon or McCartney. And that's uh, right. Yeah, it's it's quite a turn from. I don't know if you've listened uh, a recent. Uh, episode from a history of rock music in 500 songs with our friend and former guest Andrew Hickey. He he tackles um, mm-hmm. "She Loves You" by the Beatles, and in, in which he he shares that there was a point earlier in their career when they weren't sure that they were going to make it as a band, and one of their efforts to to put Lennon and McCartney on so much stuff was they thought. If this doesn't work out, let's just write songs for other people. We'll be known as Lennon and McCartney, the songwriting duo. And oh, to go okay. from that sort huh. of like or, origin relationship to, you know, splintered to the point where they're off in different corners of the recording studio and not talking to each other and still trying to put an <laughs> album together. Um, yeah, boy, it sure is really an interesting, interesting journey. Um, I think I have some sadness when I listen to this album sometimes when I think about the fact that this really is the beginning of the end. Uh, the splintering of the band has yeah. already begun. But, boy, it's... Uh, I get lots of feels when I put this on. And, uh, I, I don't even know <laughs> that, I, that I can explain why. I think I remember getting to that point seemingly every episode that we do where we turn to each other and we're like, do you got anything else to add? And I felt when we did this originally, like, I got to have something else to say. I love this, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what to add. We've, we've already talked through. Um, 
So I, it's it's not even <laughs> something that I can really clearly articulate or define why it is that that this one um, makes right. me feel the way that it does. Well, that that's that's I think that's a true test of when an album really when you really have a connection with an album, and right. you don't have to necessarily put words to it. Uh, I, I will say this: of the songs that are good that I like on this album, they are really really good. <laughs> like. There are some absolute yeah. dynamite tracks. I think my struggle is with the ones that are a little out there. I, I again just struggle with that. Why? Why? I guess th- those songs don't exist. They're almost. Oh, this is a horrible word. They're almost parasitic. <laughs> like you can't, you can't do an album. <laughs> you know, right? You can't do an album with uh, Wild Honey Pie and Bungalow Bill and you know that even birthday you, you can't do an album with all that you, it, it would be awful but you can well, slot it in can. with just with look at yoko ono <laughs> yeah but but nobody bought those <laughs> i think they tried <laughs> um a successful album let's say uh but you can slot them in with like uh you know blackbird and back in the ussr and uh while my guitar gently re- weeps because those songs are amazing so you can put those other things in um Mm -hmm. but i i don't want to bash it too hard because i know it is one that you (laughs) you really really love and i know it's one that's been very very successful and is very iconic um so i'm okay with that i just i just try to be kind and remember that when we get to dark side on the moon and we have to walk through its demise on this list as well Uh, (laughs) well you know we have that's uh, i guess one thing we should comment on that's something we've seen with a lot of our favorites isn't it we've seen some of them jump up but we've seen some of them uh go way down this is no exception going down 19 spots really fall down yep yeah and same with uh, dark sides dropped down a bit and and we just talked about um sergeant peppers which was number one and fell down to 20 yes right three or 24 like that that's still a little tough to Mm -hmm. swallow for me uh i think that yeah. What what you do with your when you're doing a new version of a list, what you do with the number one spot if you're changing it, I think says a lot about <laughs> the list as a whole. And there was yeah. we saw a few Beatles albums like uh, Abbey Road jumped up a bit, and a couple other ones slid down just a little, and that one went way down. So that was just so fascinating to me. Um, and this was another one where. What does it mean? Does it mean that the people who voted are, is it a younger generation that don't, you know, hold? Well, we can't say they don't think the Beatles are important because we saw Abbey Road jump up from 14 to 5. Uh, but there's something about these albums right, that make them right. not as relevant as Abbey Road. Uh, very, very interesting. I don't have an answer, um, but it's very interesting. Uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah. all that. Yeah. And we're not even doing a new review on this album. We're just prepping our previous one for you. <laughs> but uh, I think with the Maybe band like the Beatles... we should have just done a Beatles review podcast because it seems like we always have way too much to say about these albums. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of warranted, though, being that at least on the previous yeah. version of this list, their whole catalog... <laughs> was included i think there's one or two that aren't now um but uh, i think it's warranted 
So we will have that review coming up. We hope you'll join us on our next episode when we talk about an album we've already reviewed. That's uh, moving down from number 15 to number 30. Are You Experienced? The debut release from the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Sounds fun. Hope you join us for that and more coming up right after this. I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And today, we're discussing album number 10 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Albums of All Time list. And this is the album that's called The Beatles, but we know it as The White Album. The Beatles. Have we listened to them before? It sounds so familiar. Spelling's wrong, though. <laughs> Ten <laughs> albums in. Four Beatles albums. <laughs> yes. Four Beatles albums. Uh, two Dylan albums. Yeah. It was nice of the, uh, the people compiling this list to put some other bands between the Beatles. Yes. Kind of cleanse the palate between <laughs> each one. That's right. <laughs> like a wine tasting, right? Yeah. Yeah, even if it seems somewhat uh, obligatory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, this is... Uh... Oh, geez, I feel like I just want to start gabbing about it, but we we, we got we to gotta do what we do. So I know that you have listened to this album before because you've talked a lot about going through their whole catalog. Right. Uh, any comments on that? Well, I think we've already referenced the White Album a time or two in our previous uh, conversations about the Beatles. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an album I'm, I'm familiar with. I think we both are. And uh, I think it's the album that I thought I was supposed to like uh, <laughs> the most. It's the one that I think I had my eye on for some reason. I don't know if it was... You know, going all the way back to that eighth grade uh, talent show that I referenced a while back uh, where um, my friend Ian would put on Helter Skelter uh, when we were supposed to be practicing. So I don't know, maybe (laughs) there's there's also some mystique around this uh, elusive cover that's um, just white. I think it was was a cool album to say that you liked, if you liked any Beatles music at all. Um, It's a little bit out there being a double album and I think that makes it uh, you know more justifiable to to have on a, a list of favorites than perhaps some of the more popular stuff that they release yeah I uh, I want to jump in and say I hadn't listened to this album in, in full before oh really uh, so, no I, I hadn't and again it was like I feel like I heard about this album before I heard about Peppers okay yeah Peppers was one that I really 
when I wanted to get into the Beatles, it was one of the first that I wanted to do. Um, and the White Album, I had heard it was kind of like this almost uh, mysterious, enigmatic thing, even that people just always called it the White Album. I mean, I know that's, yeah. you have to call it something, but it was like, the, it was so iconic in my mind. And for that reason, uh, maybe my expectations were quite high. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to foreshadow a bit. I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be a little hard on this album. And I think for the same reason that uh, maybe I should have been a little harder on the first few Beatles albums we've listened to on this list, because this album I think is one that is so iconic, so well known. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about why I wanna, because uh, this is something that as I'm listening through it, I'm wondering if it's more the prestige of it that has it ranked high. Hmm. Well, we'll get to that. So we'll, I don't want to, yeah. we'll get, we'll get <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, yeah. but, um, but certainly if you've never listened to a Beatles album ever, you've probably heard of this one. Yeah. It's so, it's just the white, the white. And, and one thing I wanted to look up and I don't know if you did, is this the first album that's, just referred to as a color. I mean, I know other bands did maybe self-titled debuts or or albums that didn't have a name. Cool. That were just the name yeah. of the band. But but I want to say this is probably the first one that was just a color. Like though I don't remember any kind of jazz or blues artists coming before it that had, you know, a blue album, a red album. This is, I think, is the first of many kind of color albums. And it, it's it's in a very interesting place because, in hindsight, we see that this is winding down to the end of the Beatles' career. I think there's still what two more albums they did after this. They did then they did Abbey Road and they did Let It Be. In terms of their journey as a band, yeah, oh, not Journey the band. That's another band, but their journey, the Beatles. Uh, this is near the yeah. end. So kind of where, where are we, you know, because I, I really, I really like the help rubber soul revolver peppers kind of evolution. That's where, to me, you see the most change okay. from their first albums to help. And I think help is like their fifth. Yeah. Their fifth or sixth album. Uh, that's the, the early sound rubber soul as, as we've discussed, is kind of the last album that has that very signature, uh, perfected early Beatles mm-hmm. sound. Um, and then, and we hear some glimpses of coming into the future. And then Revolver is the next, the next phase, as it were, of the Beatles, which leads into Sgt. Pepper's, where they changed again. Then you have Magical Mystery Tour, which is, again, kind of just uh, unreleased tracks, really. There wasn't a ton of new music. Then we get into the White Album. The White Album is, again, very different and we've talked a bit before about the change between being a touring band and a studio band. Yeah. So from, you know, Sgt. Pepper's was the first one, now to this. What does it mean when you're recording songs that you don't have to reproduce live? Uh, that is a game changer yep. in my mind. And we, that definitely shines clear on this album. Not only did they release just a ton of music on this album, we've you and I have asked this question: Why would you do yeah. that? Why wouldn't you say, "Hey, let's let's you know pick these 
12 work really well together, these 12, and let's save these for like a year. And then while we're still touring, we can release that. And you know, we've already done the work. Why wouldn't you do that? I don't know. Unless I've got a, I've got a you just want it all out there. That, but it'll come up later um, when we go. Okay. <laughs> we go. Table. Yeah, we'll exactly. table it. <laughs> do you want to go to some we'll details? Do you have anything else to say before we, we jump yeah. in here? <laughs> I'll say something that's fitting. I think already we're showing that this even our conversation about this album is bouncing yep. all around, which maybe is reflective of the yeah. album itself, uh, which kind of kind of does that. Yes, this album uh, was released November 22nd, 1968. It was their ninth studio album or 10th if you count Magical Mystery Tour, but that was only released in the U.S., uh, mostly released in the U.S., uh, written by Lennon McCartney, except three tracks by George Harrison and one by Ringo. And this reached uh, number one in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. on their respective lists. Uh, sales in the U.S., more than 12 million copies. Certified 24 times platinum in the U.S. Yeah, so here's the thing. When you have a double album, you get two points in the in the certification ah. so they're, they're 24 <laughs> times platinum even though they've only sold 12 million uh uh copies right. so maybe that's the the uh, genius well, behind the that, double album that makes well, maybe it is <laughs> so was this actually 24 million copies uh <laughs> 24 million discs. albums yeah yeah discs uh yeah 12 million um, of each. Vinyls. 12 million yeah. <laughs> uh, a heap ton, and I think that, uh, without looking back through the notes, I think this would rank number two in sales compared to the albums that have been on mm. this list. I think the only one that would surpass it would be Sgt. Pepper's, which was more like 19 million. I mean, this one's like 13 plus, So, uh, but both way up yeah. there. Uh, an interesting note, uh, no singles from this album yeah i'm i couldn't figure out uh i didn't i didn't see any rationale for that i don't know if it was because they were just so big at this point that um they didn't require any singles you know they often come out to to get people excited (laughs) about the next album and and maybe they just didn't need that there's also a dynamic the the recording sessions went very very close to the release date and so I'm wondering if the album just took such a long time to get finalized that um, I don't know whether they had announced the release date ahead of time, you know, while they were recording and the recording took longer, but they're recording up through October and the album gets released in November, which just seems to me like a an insane turnaround time. Um, yeah. You know, how do you release a fast. single if you're still in the middle of recording something that's going to come out in a couple of weeks? Um so perhaps perhaps that's the reason. I'm not exactly sure why. It's interesting that Revolution was released as a single, but not one of the versions that was on this album. Right. There's a few different versions on at least one of the the releases of this album. So the one that we'd be familiar with is not from not the particular right. mix of this of something from this album. And Hey Jude was released as a single, but not from this album revolution was the b-side to hey jude it was released it was uh hey jude was the first thing that was released on the apple records label right that was their record right or their label yeah okay so again just 
band just producing a, a insane amount of me. I mean, I guess that's the dilemma, and then the solution to that problem: just create your own right. label. <laughs> if you're producing music, but but maybe you have a contract or a touring contract, or you know, I don't know. Just you can just do whatever you want when you're the boss. It doesn't seem like the decision to move into uh, record produce record production was necessarily a great step for them at the time. It, it cost them a lot of money. Uh, right. I think they had assumed right. that uh, people will buy anything that we are attached our name to, and they, they took some missteps in their early releases, yep. uh, releasing music that the buying public did not want to consume, um, even though it came from them. Right. Uh, and there are some, some elements of the re- recording production in this album when they were in the driver's seat of the studio time and of the production of the album, um, it also meant that they ended up going in many different directions as artists. And I think the biggest weakness of this album is that it's not really the Beatles uh, as a unit. It is four guys uh, being creative in different ways and sort of throwing those things all together to create an album. Um, A very different kind of turn than everything that's come before, where where it really was a cohesive unit of four um, writing and releasing together. Uh, I read today that only 16 of the 30 songs have all four band members uh, in in the final recording. And there are oh, wow. there, and there are stories of well, yeah. uh, John going off to one corner of the studio with a sound tech, and Paul going off to the other corner of the studio and recording separately, recording tracks that they never really intended the other to be a part of, uh, as their artistic visions, you know, are beginning to diverge in this moment. It certainly sounds and feels like that as you go through the album. Yeah, and I don't want to get into kind of the opinion part of it just yet but i will tell even that's the feeling you get yeah it's a go- it feels like a long time from the days where every song has like five different harmonies you know a lot of these yeah. songs are solo <laughs> uh singers and it, and if there is a harmony yeah. uh, if there is harmonizing taking place it's often the lead singer harmonizing with their own voice um right yeah much different yeah it, and and many of the songs are not really I felt created to be mm. sang along to or kind of even reproduced so many other songs we've talked about these are songs that you could just sing um, on the White Album there's a lot that I don't know if you really want to do that or if that was kind of the intent it's, it's a very it's certainly very creative uh, and and very diverse, and they do a lot of new and different things, um, but but very sporadic. Yeah. Um, what what other what other notes do you want to talk about about the album? Well, um, there are there are lots of different stories around this time of the band. I, I think this is um, a bittersweet album because of the way that it does feel like the beginning of a fragmentation. This to me is the beginning of the end of the Beatles that had risen to fame. Um, 
Yeah, it is. That's sad. And uh, it's not that the music that they're creating in this moment isn't fantastic. I think I, I think we definitely could make a case that if we if we whittled it down to a single album, it would easily be their best album. Or maybe maybe we'd have some argument about that, but. Um, <laughs> but there, there are at least a dozen really top-notch, fantastic songs here. Um, oh yeah. I, oh, I see what you mean. Whittle it down. Like if we, if we took right. some of the best, it tracks might be the greatest Beatles album. from this album. It, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I still disagree, um, but, but we also saying. get. <laughs> well, we, and we can talk more about that. <laughs> We have we to get the first <laughs> appearance of uh, Yoko on this album, and you know she she's pretty. Oh, oh no. no, she is pretty instrumental in. <laughs> I think, depending on how the story is told, of the eventual demise of the band, and uh, so yeah. So there's That's little the inklings rumor. here that that things aren't right. Uh, that they're not all on the same page out anymore. Um, and that's that's a little heartbreaking, uh, even in the midst of them continuing to make to make great music uh right there's a lot of drama happening around the band probably because of how big they are the lennon and ono get arrested right before the album comes out for marijuana possession um lennon claims uh that it was false that that they were uh wrongly accused um but it's it's yeah, he never had. He never had. <laughs> yeah, that and it's stuff. clear, uh, you know, in hindsight, of course, that um, whether or not they had marijuana at the time, they were very much influenced by uh, uh, drug usage. Uh, one of the one of the issues that Paul had with the recording session was that uh, John and Yoko were doing so much heroin that they almost became. Uh, impossible to work with, uh, you know, just incoherent and mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily all there mentally. Uh, so yeah, it's an, it's an interesting moment in time. That their fame also comes with the uh, backlash of, of society too. They, you know, they're they're under far more of a, a magnifying glass. Uh, it's the end of the '60s, and politically, the world is really on edge. And the Beatles are writing these kind of quirky funny songs that don't always make a whole lot of sense uh it's a moment in time where people are being prophetic in their pop music and, and really pushing against the system and you know they're they're writing about bungalow bill and uh and you know these whimsical mm. <laughs> kind of fairy tale stories that um you know just seem out of touch with uh, what's going on in the world mm. um and and there are also conservative folks who are angry with them for being so cavalier about things like communism. The the lead track back in the USSR gets uh, criticized by evangelists as uh, proof that the Beatles are trying to brainwash American youth with uh, communist ideas and um, and things like that. It's a it's a really strange <laughs> moment in time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's lots of other directions to go here as we're getting started. The the process for recording this album was very different than up until this point. I think everything that had been recorded by the Beatles to this moment was done on a four-track recording machine. Uh, this time they used an eight-track recording machine, and a lot of the, the work was done hmm. by just hitting record and playing the songs over and over and over again. And then the producers would go 
and sift through the tracks and figure out what the best one was and then call and then call the artist back oh, wow. into the studio to add in layering. So the band might, or, you know, wow. it, maybe it, it might only be one or two people. Some of the tracks only have, you know, guitar and drums uh, or piano and drums or, or just piano. Um, but they play them, you know, a hundred times and then, uh, and then they, they tinker with it later as they, as they would go. Um, there's a, a track that doesn't even get on the album. Uh, George Harrison wrote a song called not guilty. Uh, apparently it was recorded 102 times in these sort of jam sessions and then they never even used it. <laughs> so it could have been 31. Wow. Um, wow. But very, but very interesting. And, and, you know, they're at the points in the, their careers where they're really becoming, I don't know if I'm out of turn in saying this, but they're becoming masters in their industry in a very short time they've done right. so much they've done recording and touring and writing and producing and creating their own label like they have mm-hmm. packed it in in you know eight years give or take like tons of stuff so you know that in one sense is incredible and they are very well equipped in the other sense it's yeah. you know it's got to be draining and can cause a lot of conflict you get uh, four very talented but very opinionated and strong characters in a room uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't always go well and maybe this is as you said mm-hmm. it's starting to break down yeah. we get some amazing yeah. music on this album and i'm not trying to say that we don't but we see some, maybe some of the uh, personal challenges of this group starting to sh- shine through a bit um something that that is telling i think in the way that the band is dissolving is that the the Percussion credits on this album go to uh, not only Ringo, but Paul and John as well. Uh, Ringo actually quits the mm. band in the middle of this recording process and forces and forces Paul and John oh, wow. to um, do the drums on their own tracks. He basically is fed up with the way that they're um, working wow. together. It doesn't feel like he's being considered our, uh, for his vision of what the song should be like and walks away. And so uh, Ringo, Paul, and John all get percussion credits on this on this album, basically out of necessity. Um, <laughs> and it's not even – I was surprised wow. to find that I, – I, I guess I had assumed that, oh, you're probably going to be able to tell what the uh, um, tracks are that Paul or John play on. But it's not the case. Paul does the drums on Back in the USSR, which seems like a really yeah. big rock song, like right off the top. And so he he must be pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it took him a hundred takes to get that right. But uh. Uh, one one final note: um, Eric Clapton lead guitar on "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." <laughs> Just interesting. And and then, well, rumors, and I'm not sure if I've heard this. I don't know if you've heard this that at one point in time, when Harrison was considering leaving the band clapton was either considered or lined up to be his replacement and i've always wondered what that would have been like whether it would have just totally flopped you know you get lennon and clapton would they have worked well together or not or would have been like amazing would it have been the beatles plus like this you know amazing blues virtuoso kind of thing I don't know. I, can't. I was about to say, while my guitar gently weeps is an incredible song. 
But it was written by Harrison, so oh, yeah. <laughs> if he leaves the band and gets replaced by Clapton, we don't get guitar, while my guitar gets weak. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so we don't. You may never no, know. We don't. It would have been we don't nice get that. If, uh, uh, McCartney, Lennon, and uh, Clapton. I'm dying to discuss this album cover. Uh, maybe we should make this its own episode. Uh, the album cover? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Polar Bear and the Blizzard. Uh, oh, oh, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Polar Bears <laughs> and Snowy Owls. <laughs> um, snowmen. Yeah, Polar Bear blinking in a snowstorm. <laughs> Is that Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, I think it might be. <laughs> okay, so the on the original uh, vinyl packaging, it was just white and the Beatles wasn't printed it was embossed right or stamped in and it wasn't was it colored black or was it just stamped in just stamped in so no no color at all on, on the album and that is like is it creative is it lazy is it arrogant yeah I think it's probably all of those I think there's something oh, okay <laughs> there's something kind <laughs> of uh, artistically clever about an album you really have to you know if you just see it you have to pick it up and look all over to try and make sense of what it is that there's some genius in that there's some arrogance too like we're we're such a big band at this point in our careers that we can essentially put our albums in an empty white sleeve and they'll still sell i know we've talked about before the the transition that the band makes visually uh so you know almost all of their albums feature the four of them, their, their sort of faces. And uh, yeah, and the White Album really does mark a shift to something else. Uh, oh, this is the first one that doesn't have their images on it? Yeah. Or maybe the only one. I think the only one. Unless you count uh, Magical Mystery Tour where they're all dressed up in with like masks. Right. But I guess that's still them. Uh, oh yeah, well I never even thought of that. This is the only one. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and each each cover had a unique serial number on it. At least initially. Initially, on the the initial. Uh, uh, and, uh, what I have here in 2015 Ringo Starr's personal copy of number one zero 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 one sold for seven hundred ninety thousand dollars. Yeah. Not too shabby. It's an expensive album. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's some sort of tongue-in-cheek irony in that aspect of this as well. You know, people feel like they're getting a limited number, but with, uh, what is there, seven digits? That means it could have gone up to 9,999,999. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, a significant number of albums were, were made. Uh, with wow. that serial number on it. Yes, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to list all the tracks? I mean, I don't want to list all the tracks. No, I, I don't. I thought you were just right away going to say no, because that's what I would Here's say. the thing. There's so <laughs> many tracks. Like, you know, typically when we get to this point, we say, what tracks stood out to you? It's hard for me to know where to begin. So I'm not sure how to do it this time. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, how about some? How about some some favorites? I'll go first. I'll go okay. first. I feel like I feel like you want to think about this. I, I just gonna the ones that just just jumped out to me either because they're familiar or I really like them. And there's a lot of like 
really, really familiar songs. Um, but we'll talk about a few. Okay. Back in the USSR, great opening track. Yep. Boom. Just like right in there. Um, Blackbird, like as soon as you get tired of just playing chords on your guitar, the next thing you want to do is learn how to play something like Blackbird. Yeah. So this is a, a song that every kind of person who played their guitar for more than a year before putting it like under the bed or in the closet this is the song that they wanted to play well and it, it was probably a sign that you had made it to a different level in your playing I, yes. I can remember our friend Alan Reese McDowell playing Blackbird you know one night after picking Sweet Corn and remember thinking okay I've got something to strive for I can't do that that's the next yeah that's, not, that's the next step that's the next step <laughs> And, yeah, uh, I remember that too. And uh, I, I have a pretty vivid memory of another friend who I met, you know, first week of college, who was strumming Blackbird, and I thought, okay, this guy's legitimate. You know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's it's that's the, the yeah, benchmark. That's, that's the benchmark. <laughs> um, I really, really, totally dig Helter Skelter for so many reasons, and I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but saying that at the time whether someone said this or this is just a comment that someone's made at a later date this would have been the heaviest thing that you ever would have heard Mm. they are like pushing their guitars and amps to the max on these sounds like they're just screaming because the the effects when you think about getting into the 70s uh, Zeppelin and then into bands like you know ACDC and uh, Metallica where you have all these effects that make the amps and the cars just scream. They were trying to do that here in like 68 yeah. with <laughs> very limited technology. And there's so like from the screaming to the, to the distortion, to the, to the, the riffs, like it is, it is way, I would say this is like a decade ahead of its time yeah. um, in terms of the type of song they're making here. And I've always found it very compelling. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that you know it's associated with the uh, Charles Manson and the Jonestown murders. I think the redeeming part of that Manson story is that a couple decades later, then on U2's live album, is it Live Under a Blood Red Sky? Okay, so a little uh, insert here. While I was editing, I realized my mistake. It's clearly on U2's Rattle and Hum, not Under a Blood Red Sky but I was convinced of the wrong album. So I apologize, U2 fans. On U2's uh, Live Under a Blood Red Sky, uh, Bono begins a track by saying, here's a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back. Here's a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back. And then the band gets into Helter Skelter. Under Blood Blood Red Sky was the very first U2 album I I bought. Wow. After having the vinyl version of Joshua Tree. I think I found it in a discount bin at uh, Upper Canada Mall. I'm forgetting which store it was in. Wow. But um, I I didn't really know much about U2 except for the Joshua Tree. And uh, they play this song that I think I had never heard before. And... You know, as a, right. as a young teenager, I thought, what is this guy talking about? 
a serial killer stole a song from a music group and now they're taking it back. What does that mean? And uh, so it sent me, I, I'm pretty sure that that track alone sent me on this musical journey that I did not expect. Uh, you know, discovering it, I'm sure it was years later because that was before the internet could have given me the answer immediately. Years later, I hear the track uh, in its original form and, uh, and sort of draw the lines and connect the dots. Uh, that one yeah. definitely stands out to me too. I think the, the, there are a few others, but one I I probably would want to mention is While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Mm. I don't know what it is. I've always really enjoyed, maybe because there's less of them, I really enjoy some of the Harrison tracks. I think he had a very unique style of songwriting, and I found a lot of his songs to be very moving. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, can't, I can't really pinpoint why, but I really like this. Um, I also... Uh, I'm very familiar because he's a Toronto native on our radio station in Toronto. They often play the cover by Jeff mm. Healy, who was a, a, a Toronto-based a guitarist, uh, uh, blind from a young age, played his guitar on his lap, you know, lap style with the hand not around the neck but on top of the yeah. neck. And, and just, again with the technology has his guitar just screams yeah. um and uh he does a really great version of this and if you have a chance uh, look up uh while my guitar gently weeps by uh jeff healy so it's, it's a really neat version i think from the maybe the late 90s that song um, is like melancholy those are, I think, and, some... and sweeping and really beautiful yeah, the guitar is fantastic uh, yeah and it kind of the song kind of comes undone at the end like it kind of unravels yeah. a bit and, and I, I really, I really like it. There's a lot, of, a lot of good things. So the, I think those, those are my top tracks. Um, what about you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where to begin? So, any comments at all? <laughs> Back in the USSR is just a phenomenal uh, kickoff track. And um, oh yeah, I don't know. Did you go and listen to the Great Albums podcast? Then one of them, the, their special guest actually uh, pointed out that this is. Uh, this is in some ways an album that is trying to pay tribute to different styles of music throughout history and sometimes being really specific uh, back and, and almost making uh, a lighthearted spin on, on something. So back in the USSR is, you know, uh, kind of poking at the beach boys back in the USA Oh yeah, and then that whole that whole bridge section where they—I yeah. don't want to say—I don't say mock because yeah. uh, I, I don't think that's fair, but parody mm-hmm. that Beach Boys sound, which is kind of like it's it's a bit of a poking fun, but it's a bit of a tribute too, yep. because I know that they respected the and were inspired mm-hmm. by the Beach Boys. I love that, and I often forget about that section. Yeah, like sometimes I listen to the song and it pops in, and I'm like, oh. I forgot that this part was here, even though I've listened to this song like a hundred times. Just so into that driving rhythm of back in the USSR, and then they get into this kind of surf uh, Beach Boy yeah, section. It's yeah. like it's great. It's really well done. Yeah, uh, and the you know the the jet taking off and landing kind of warbling oh. at the end too. This is a great song. Um, but the sec- that, that that and I want to talk about that jet yeah. because that sounds so good. And sometimes I hear it and I think, oh, it's that's gimmicky and cliche. But again, I'm listening through, <laughs> you know, through my ears yeah. 
50 years later um back then like it would have been like uh not not novel at all like just just groundbreaking and awesome yeah. so yeah i I, li- I like the plane everything is great so if you've got you know another half hour go check out the great albums podcast and their recent uh, review of the white album i think they spend a good 20 minutes right. on <laughs> back in the ussr alone right yeah um, yeah yeah but yeah. yeah uh you know the second track dear prudence really stands out to me it's a beautiful quiet yep. song it's really great very um, pretty obladi oblada is uh, a song that my kids know and like and um appreciate yeah. it's just uh, lighthearted and and silly i I think in songs like that, I get why uh, John specifically is getting frustrated with Paul's artistic sensibility because he's making these like <laughs> poppy, bright songs um, while John's heading in direction of like happiness is a warm gun, right? Just dark, kind of like, uh, you know, downward yeah. spiral kind of stuff compared to. Uh, you know, skippy, happy kind of stuff. Um, Cloyingly sweet, I think is what uh, John said of McCartney's songwriting at this point of their... Well, and I don't know... I'm not going to comment on how specifically the drug use was affecting Lennon, but uh, it's well documented that he was, uh, you know, using probably different drugs, heroin uh, primarily, and that's... uh, you know, it's going to affect his, certainly his creative mm-hmm. thinking, um, whether that makes it darker or, or if the downtimes between the highs were very yeah. dark. I don't know. But I think I think I can say that McCartney either didn't use it as much or at all um, at the time. I don't know if I could say that with any authority, but I think probably most authorities would say that Lennon and Ono were into it a lot yeah. more. So maybe that maybe that's the difference there. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to get. I don't want to get into too much into that. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to just be negative about it. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, they did what they did, um, and whether that's positive or negative, I I'm not interested in in making that distinction. That the where they were in their lives that created this music, and we have it. Yeah. Period. Uh, and then decide whether that's good or bad, or say well. Oh, maybe they shouldn't have done so much drugs. Ah, but then we wouldn't have this. You know what? No, just forget the whole argument. Uh, just, just this is where we're at. This is what happened, and, and here it is. And uh, yeah, that's 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 my feeling on it. I don't I don't yeah. know about your feeling. That's a bit of a sidetrack yeah. from it, but but that but that's a part of many of these albums yeah. we're going to discuss in yeah, the sixties. Uh, that was a part of it, uh, for for good or for bad, or whether we just at neutral yep. say hear the facts yeah and i think i mean you know this conversation really does get at both the incredible genius of the band at this time and and its divergence i think uh as much as i like happiness is a warm gun which i held up in contrast is also really an incredible sounding song it's got like oh yeah five or six different personalities and moves through kind of phases um and it's a really, really fascinating uh, song. Um, Martha, My Dear is a McCartney tune, but it's also kind of minor key and a little bit more melancholy and 
and another really kind of hauntingly beautiful uh, track. Um, Piggies is maybe the most political that they get on this album, you know, for a, a moment in time where they're criticized for being too uh, lighthearted and uh, fantastical or something. Here's a, a song that really right. <laughs> uh, pushes back on the sort of materialism, consumerism that's uh, happening in the world. And it's a really, a really interesting song that, uh, like a lot of their songs, you could dismiss as kind of a childhood, whimsical kind of sound, but until you really look at the, the lyrics and, and begin to make sense of it. The, a, c- a couple more that, that stand out here as we're, as we're moving through. Uh, Why Don't We Do It In The Road is a, a song that just seems really punchy and in your face. And kind of silly, too, I oh, guess. Uh, it's it apparently uh, written about two monkeys that he saw doing it in the road. <laughs> yeah, in India. I was like, just literally just about that. <laughs> no one no one will notice us because that's kind of what was happening. Uh, that song is like, I wish the lyrics were a little more diverse. <laughs> because I could, like, if that was a fully developed fully furnished song it's like it is just rocking it just it just drives and moves and i love the sound of his voice it's got to be mccartney right like it's mccartney um, and it's mccartney on everything except for the drone oh man Uh, apparently this was another sticking point for really um john thought this is a song that i should be singing and you just did all of it McCartney <laughs> sang it, did the piano, did the um, guitar. Didn't leave anything on the table for for John to do, uh, and it, it sounds like a Lennon track. I think, I think there's still uh, it, it does a, a little bit. They're still, yeah, they're still clearly on the same page, uh, you know, talent wise, and I think are almost writing for each other still, even though they're you know in different corners of the studio recording. It's really fascinating, um, that dynamic. This track is really, you know, just Paul holding up his yeah. middle finger at John. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, you and Yoko uh, are I, two I monkeys. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, ooh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but like, uh, absolutely. Um, I uh, Some others for me that, like there's tracks here that maybe aren't my favorite yeah. but are familiar. Uh like Rocky Raccoon um is Which by the way always makes me think of the Raccoons, a Canadian uh cartoon from when we were growing up. Me too, and why is that? <laughs> Was one of the characters named Rocky? What a funny show. <laughs> I mean like funny strange. Yeah. <laughs> and nope, I feel like Bert, Ralph. it was a show that I never knew No, there weren't any Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, anyways. <laughs> I feel like I never knew when it was on TV. It was like Sunday evenings? I don't know. I just I feel like I had a hard time catching it. Um, okay, Rocky Raccoon. Like, again, kind of a weird yeah. song, but, but familiar. And um, apparently... Rocket Raccoon in the comics is based off of this, or at very least, they did some okay. some references to the Beatles uh, in some of the comics, as long before the movies. Um, 
And when I hear uh, birthday, okay, (laughs) uh, I don't know about you, but I felt like in the late 90s, sweeping through uh, restaurants all over North America was a fear of, you know, getting sued for copyright infringement. And I guess the copyright had been renewed on happy birthday. So restaurants stop singing right. happy birthday. But I remember going to many restaurants where they'd like bring out a little boom box and push play and it was this song and they'd all sing along to <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I definitely went to like a few restaurants where they That's did that. <laughs> and they just kind of danced and like, you know, the waiters are not singing because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people can't sing and don't want to sing in public and yeah. can't really sing along to this song. So they just kind of dance around and then everyone claps and they take the boombox away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, get your cake. But yeah, we're finally into the second, uh, the second album, the second disc, I guess. Uh, oh. <laughs> and, and we skipped, sorry, I and we was, right by, was I supposed to announce that side three. Right, we skipped by "Don't Pass Me By" uh, and and Julia. Um, Two songs, which also That's right. I think are really beautifully written, but we don't need to spend time <laughs> with them. Um, Mother's Na- Mother Nature's Son, I think, uh, often gets listed among the, the most beautiful Beatles songs of all time, and uh, definitely one that I am always drawn to as well. Um, one that I was less familiar with, had heard it before, but was... Uh, and a great title here. Everybody's got something to hide yep. except me and my monkey. And I remember I was going through some tracks with my wife, Nora, the other day, and uh, I was listing them, and she was kind of, you know, l- listening to them as I was listening to the- listing them. And she said, <laughs> wait, what's happening? Is that actually the title? <laughs> I said, yeah. And then we played it. She was like, this is great. I want more of this. Well, you might remember from several weeks ago when I was talking about Casper Baby Pants that Jonas's favorite song right now is Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey, uh, (laughs) the Casper Baby Pants version. Uh, The real version. The real version. (laughs) Exactly. According to them. (laughs) Go and find it. Play it for your family. Um, What a uh, funny Make the monkey noises along. Um, yeah, like uh, I want to. I want to say. If, yeah. I want to say something here. And, and I know I've alluded to it. This album to me is a bunch of mis mix, yep. mismatched songs. Some of them which are very good. All of them which are very different. That don't necessarily belong together. Some of them hit, yep. and some of them miss. And. It just feels, although as a whole, it is good, it doesn't feel as unified. It doesn't feel like an album like the other ones. So, um, Okay, well, so here's a question then. Maybe this is for another time. Okay. Would it be possible to make a 12-track song, 12-track album from these 30 songs that do sound cohesive uh what's the rule for a beatles album it's gotta have two george harrison tracks and one ringo star track (laughs) (laughs) i think the the ringo track is optional (laughs) unless it's yellow submarine um yeah i think if you cut it down to 12 and there's probably we could probably agree on six or eight i think there's probably a couple of 12 track albums here 
I think that we could make a more John sounding, darker twelve track album and a and a more I think, fun. I think we could make yeah. I think we could make two two good albums or one really really great album. But I think your your point about these songs don't necessarily match. Uh, I think does does move an album from good to great when the songs do sound cohesive. I think it's why oh, yeah. I found myself as we went through the first three being more drawn to Rubber Soul than to Revolver yeah. or um, Sgt. Pepper's because the latter two also have that problem of the songs don't necessarily fa- sound like they fit together. Well, it's that it's a fi- I think it's a fine line between similar and diverse. Yeah. So you want to be diverse, but not too diverse. Yep. <laughs> then you get this. Yeah. You want don't want to be you want to be similar, so it sounds cohesive, but not too similar that it's rep uh, repetitive. Yep. Okay. So I think yeah, Rubber Soul did that very well, and that's why I think maybe a bit of a difference we have where I like I like Revolver much more because. I hear the similarities, but there's so much more diversity. Yeah. Um, however, Rubber Soul is like, you know, it's just it's just locked in, and and the songs yeah. are more similar, but not in a repetitive way. So yeah. Right. But I don't know the this album. I have to say is probably one of the most creative. I'd say it's more creative than Peppers. Yeah. I I'd say it's at least more inventive. Than revolver, I don't know if I'd say it's more creative. I don't oh, think just because you do something that's experimental necessarily means it's creative, because it has to be thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have the broad instrumental experimentation of those other two albums. It's a fairly stripped down rock sound most of the time. I mean, they play a lot with genre, but it's mostly. Yeah guitar bass drums with a little piano here and there. Um, right. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have the sort of overproduced, uh, you know, all kinds of different sounds added in that, that those other two albums have. And yet it pushes the limits artistically speaking, uh, even within that stripped down instrumentation. Uh, so yeah, rounding out the track lists, a uh, few more, <laughs> of my many standouts <laughs> here. Uh, I really, Cry Baby Cry is an, an, another incredible song, at least in my opinion. And uh, and I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, I feel like the last five tracks are, five or six tracks are bonus tracks. Like mm. you have Revolution 1, Revolution 9, you have Honey Pie, which is... Beautiful too. But yeah. Yeah, like I just, I felt... You know, when you go to Spotify or whatever, you know, you'll get, you know, five different versions of the same album. You get the remastered, right, you get the right, re-release, right. you get the, the 30th, the 40th, the 25th version. So I always try and be careful and make sure I'm not listening to like a bonus track. I try and find the original release yep. if I can. Um, uh, and then maybe later listen to some bonus tracks or some... Even I don't mind listening to it that's not remastered just to listen to kind of the original unfiltered version. Mm -hmm. But I had to look through a few times because I really thought, oh, are these last bunch of tracks? Are this just like (laughs) extra 
extra stuff that they pulled out of you know off the cutting room floor but no this is part of the original release but it feels like bonus tracks to me yeah yeah I can not that they're that. bad but just just especially revolution nine which is just kind of a bunch of stuff all strung yeah. together is interesting so yeah those my my reflections kind of on i i often stop it actually mm-hmm. maybe after revolution one i don't i don't always listen to those last few tracks don't hate me no that's fine um and uh i i want to come i want to go back to one uh wild honey pie track five i have skipped this track on many occasions okay it's just like i just don't get it and if i listen to it the first time or two just to like you know say i've done it uh and then i <laughs> i i just it's just so just uh the guitars yeah, it's and the, weird weird harmony it's it's weird and hey yeah. i don't mind weird but in terms of you know coming back to it a uh, uh, returning listen returning listener uh yeah no thank you yeah um skip that one so anyways yeah <laughs> i think that's uh that's me for for tracks i mean okay again i'm almost wondering ben if uh we need to start doing like two two episodes for the double albums (laughs) well (laughs) or like uh, maybe this says something about how we value this This is number four right in a in a string of double albums but i think yeah we care more about this album than the previous three that have come along and uh you know i had no desire to spend an hour going through the track lists on the exile on main street, for instance. Um, no. And why would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to that album, uh, that episode yet, Rolling Stones fans go back and uh, don't listen. <laughs> uh, type your comments um, yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Cause somewhere else. that's done. But I, uh, I definitely yeah. agree that there's a lot of fluff here and, and some of it is the sort of, you know, wild honey pie for sure. Continuing story of bungalow bill. I is a interesting song, yeah. but also it just doesn't, I, it doesn't resonate with me the way that I um, no. think some of the others no. do. And, and glass yeah, onion is uh, kind of that way too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I totally get that, that sentiment. When I was first getting familiar to some of the songs and, uh, uh glass onion came on, I thought it was, uh, Everybody's got something to hide. Uh, they've kind of, oh, kind yeah. of got a similar yeah. feel. Um, but that glass onion was another one that I just can't quite place it. It was sort of okay, but sort of weird. But yeah, just uh, a lot of just a feeling of disjointedness right. in general, uh, yeah. which is not necessarily bad. But but it's uh, bound to happen when you've got thirty it, tracks. <laughs> yeah. And you know, two kilos of heroin. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, any any personal memories of, that we haven't talked about? Uh, I have a memory that that happened very recently. Um, it's still a memory. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually talking about this album with uh, with my wife Meredith, and we started talking about. I think because of Glass Onion, maybe we started talking about the whole Paul is dead. Um, oh yeah, and um, there I guess is still a, a belief, almost in the same way that you know Elvis never really died, that there are two Pauls. There's the Paul that recorded oh, wow. everything 
you know, kind of up until his death. And then the replacement Paul that was a part of everything after. Um, and Meredith and I were talking about the bizarre, uh, circumstance that it requires of a myth like that to continue on. It would be much harder now when, uh, our celebrities are so much in the limelight and everything can be looked up right away. Um, but you know, what are we talking about here? 40, 50 years ago, um, you know, rumors spread and, and spread in a kind of fascinating way. Uh, it, I'm sure it was aided by the fact that they had stopped touring. So no one, ever, yeah. no one ever saw the band perform and could have been very easy to say, Oh yeah, I haven't seen that guy. Uh, Can you imagine trying to do that now? Right. Like, you know, Katy Perry decides she wants to fake her death and they plan it all out. And then an right. hour later she forgets and, and, t- and tweets about it, you know, and like, <laughs> and like, no, we said that yeah. you were going to do this. Yeah, exactly. oh, I forgot. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know uh, uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's uh that's always an interesting one. With regards to preconceived notions, I do remember being surprised at just how uh many wild turns this album takes. I think because I yeah. knew that mm-hmm. I was supposed to this was the album you were supposed to like, right? This was the this was yes. the cool Beatles album. I think I expected it to be a lot tighter, a lot neater, a little bit more cohesive. Yeah. And it is yep. It, 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 to me, it's more of a concept album than um, Sgt. Pepper's or Revolver, which both were named as concept albums as we went through their uh, history. Well, um, but I, I guess yeah. as we've discussed, concept is often synonymous with experimental, right? But not necessarily a common thread, and I don't, I don't hear a common thread through this at all. Right. I, <laughs> there are hardly any songs that are familiar other than the ones that are different versions of themselves. But I resonate with all those comments you had there, Ben. And I th- thought it would be better. Ooh. Ooh. That word is subjective. <laughs> but I, I think on the same line, my take yeah. on what you said is that I just thought, okay, this is heralded as one of the best Beatles albums. It's got to be just knock my socks off really, really good, which can mean a lot of different things. I yeah. understand that. But it was, again, just not as – I didn't think it would be as experimental. I thought it would be a little more polished, um, a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's okay. That was just my, what I thought it would be. Uh, and maybe that's why I didn't like it as much as I thought I would because I did have that perhaps unrealistic expectation. But um, it still is has some a lot of high moments, but uh, – Sorry, that that pun was not intended. But um, no, it was it it was. I, I guess I thought I would like it better. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I thought I would like it more than I did, and I did like it, but not as much of of, of any of the other albums uh, by the Beatles that we've listened to on this list, and even some of the other ones I've heard. That makes sense. I'll make a couple quick comments here. Um, Yes, it's dated, uh, even though it sounds so different than so much different than anything else. It's dated, even though I said that some of it sounds, you know, 10 years ahead of its time. Like Helter Skelter is just like, yeah, whoa, you know, that that became rock and roll. But like a decade later, like, that's awesome. Um, But a lot of it is a lot of it. It's just silly. And it's silliness that we don't do anymore. Um, It sounds dated. I think that parts of it are I think the songs that are familiar that are still played are obviously those are the ones that are still relevant and the rest of it is not as opposed to some of the other albums like I'll use rubber soul as an example the albums that are not familiar you're not familiar with um when you hear them 
you'll still probably really like them. And if they started playing it on the radio, they would become familiar. You couldn't do that right. with all these songs. You couldn't do that yeah. with, you know, Wild Honey Pie or, or some of the other ones. It, it wouldn't work. Whereas it would probably work with just about every song on Rubber Soul or even Peppers for that matter. So uh, I think some of it's relevant and some of it's very dated and some of it's ahead of its time. So it's mixed. It's mixed. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll say I affirm all of that. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I am. It is making me curious now to just looking ahead a little bit down the list here is um, John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. I'm curious if we will hear some of the sort of uh, silliness of the White Album and, and maybe uh, Yoko's influence of the White Album uh, coming out in that band uh, down the road. But we'll see when we get there. Um, right. I, th- I agree with you that there are some songs that have really not aged well and some others that just seem really timeless. I think yeah. what's surprising to me, and maybe this shouldn't be surprising is that the songs that are the most stripped down where it's a, you know, a singular voice and a guitar or a piano to me are the, the ones that have held up the best over time. I think it's because it's displaying the songwriting when it's not being carried by instrumentation. Yeah. So what, what do you think? Was this, position this ranking number 10 is that appropriate for this list or uh okay here's what i'll say in terms of listenability i'd rank it lower okay in terms of influence and uh its place in kind of the beatles catalog and history and just kind of as an iconic album both in name and in appearance even um i think I think that 10 is fitting uh, Yeah. in terms of where it ranks compared to other Beatles albums. Again, I would rank this lawyer, uh, lower than Abbey road in terms of listenability. Um, even help. I like a little more, but I think that is ranked quite a lot lower. So uh, yes, again, I understand number 10, but uh, I would put it a little lower strictly due to my enjoyment of it. Not, not necessarily because of how quote great it is. So yeah, I'm okay okay with 10. You higher, lower, same. I would probably say the same thing. Um, I'm fine with the position where it is. Uh, On the flip side, I guess I would, I would be fine with it being a couple spots higher, not uh, Mm -hmm. at least one more, at least one (laughs) higher. (laughs) At least one higher. We'll see. Uh, Tune in soon. We'll, we'll let you know how we would have reshuffled these. Uh, I yeah, at least one higher. I I think I I would probably put it even a couple more higher, um, because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, it still mm-hmm, does mm-hmm. get mentioned as like uh, an album bands are influenced by an iconic, you know, even in terms of its elusive co- cover, you know, that has sparked all kinds of stuff that has come after it. Uh, the we did not mention this uh, during this episode today, although uh, I guess I am mentioning it now. <laughs> um, a couple of weeks back, we, we referenced the Grey album. Uh, oh, boy. A, when a DJ took uh, tracks from Jay-Z's Black album and the Beatles' White album and uh, remixed them together. Uh, you know, just saying the White album immediately draws you to this band. Something, oh, yeah. as vague, something as vague as that sentence. And I sure. think that its social impact uh, you know, continues to live on, even yes. if people haven't necessarily listened to the whole thing. They know what the White Album is. They know that that was a pivotal uh, record. 
I think for its, um, you know, place in the Beatles canon and its, uh, you know, almost a marker of the beginning of the end for this band, um, all of that means I, I would not be uh, opposed to nudging it up a few more spots for, for that. But I can I can live with it being at number 10 and I think that that decision was sound logic yeah as we go we'll, we'll see how that how that holds up yeah coming up next uh, we'll have uh, we'll move beyond the top 10 to number 11 on Rolling Stone's top 500 album list that is our first compilation album uh, it's called The Sun Sessions and it's a selection of recordings from Elvis Presley all done in the same uh, recording studio and so yeah. it's it's sort of a greatest hits, I guess, based on a certain era and a certain moment in his career. We're moving on to the King. Yeah, looking forward to it. We want to say thank you to the, all of those who have joined us as special guests, offering their voice oh, and yeah. wisdom on the albums we've gone to through so far. Uh, as you look ahead, if there's an album that stands out for you as one of your favorites, uh, get in touch. We'd love to have you as a guest here on the SoundLogic podcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. See you next time. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.